Hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. Now, I'm not a big fan of American football. I've certainly tried to watch it, but it's just far too confusing for me. Anyway, uh, recently, the Super Bowl. I'm sure many of you listening will have watched it or be aware of it, if only because you're Taylor Swift fans. But one of the things that came out of that presentation, which is always so important, it seems, is the adverts and the advertising that takes place during the game. A series of photographs that appeared amongst that advertising has also caused some controversy. I saw the pictures and I thought, they look familiar to me. And of course they were, because they were taken by photographer Julia Fullerton-Batten, somebody who I've known and been aware of for many years, and also a previous contributor to the podcast. Well, I saw this little article and I thought I would share it with you if you haven't seen the images or the work, or even if you have, because it ties into a very interesting conversation. Shortly after uh, me seeing this uh, news article, I heard from Bill Shapiro, a regular contributor to the podcast, of course, and he was raising similar issues that occurred for him in a discussion he was having on social media. What I'm really talking about here is AI, and I think in a way post-production. I think that what I've been talking about with AI and post-production is starting to merge as I thought it would. So here's the story. Photographer lifts the lid on that Jesus Super Bowl ad. The photographer who took the powerful foot-washing images for a Jesus ad that played at Super Bowl has revealed the huge production value behind the photos and hit back at critics who say the ad was AI-generated. The advertisement, advertisement, I should say, from the group He Gets Us is a Bible reference to when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples on the night of the Last Supper. Photographer Julia Fullerton-Batten was commissioned by He Gets Us to shoot a series of high-quality fine art photos of people washing the feet of others. The big production shoot was shot over the course of a week in Los Angeles at the end of last year, and Fullerton-Batten told Petter Pixar, where I saw the story, that she had to keep the project quiet. They wanted this campaign to be very powerful, very meaningful. It's about loving your neighbour and you can't choose your neighbour, she says. It's about washing one of another's feet, which is what Jesus did. It's passing on that message. I wash your feet, you wash the next person's feet. The ad, which has been a hot topic of conversation since it aired, is a series of photos set to a moving soundtrack. Each still was a huge production involving elaborate sets and dozens of photo assistants. We were like a big, enormous TV crew, Fullerton Batten ads. We had to shut down a whole street just to park the vehicles. Despite Fullerton Batten and the crew's hard work, some were questioning whether the images were actually generated by AI. SB Nation went so far as to actually publish an article that falsely claimed the ad was made by AI. I've read on social media that some people are questioning if it's AI, says uh, Julia. 
That's a problem when something so beautifully and highly produced that people start questioning if it's real or not real. I think that's a shame. That makes me very sad because we spent so much time creating and there was amazing teamwork from everybody involved and people making flippant comments about AI. Fullerton Batten says she wanted the people in the photos to remain normal looking, something she was conscious of in the post-production process. I wanted to make it look as real as possible in this kind of highly staged cinematic scenario. But at the same time, hopefully, it feels real and people can connect with it, she adds. The London-based photographer says that when she was doing the initial research, she couldn't find any pictures of people's feet being washed that weren't related to a spa treatment. Yet, more proof that the pictures weren't AI-generated because AI models have to be trained on existing photos. That in itself... The fact that there were no existing images is also exciting for me, she says, as a photographer. This is the kind of campaign that I like to do. This is what excites me, passing on messages and doing something very creative. For me, they're like art pieces, and that's why I took on the project as well. Not only because of the message, but also to create beautiful imagery. A set of AI images did appear during a commercial break at the Super Bowl, but it was the Minions making fun of them. Well, I'll pass that one over to you about the Minions. But I think what's really interesting about this, I saw the pictures and I thought, are they Gregory Crudson or are they Julia Fullerton Batten? That was instantly my thought process. Others mentioned that they look like Crudson's work. Both photographers work in a large-scale cinematic way and Julia's also taken that into filmmaking very successfully but it does raise the question that both Nick Dunmore and I were talking about over Christmas on the podcast when you have a strong visual identity when you are using a large amount of post-production the ill-informed the uninformed may now start to shout AI in the same way that they used to shout, Photoshop. This week, we welcome to the podcast to explain to us what photography means to him in under five minutes, Mark Chapman, who is an award-winning filmmaker, artist, photographer from the northeast of England, whose moving image work has been screened internationally across narrative, documentary and experimental contexts. Chapman's hybrid documentary short, Camrex, had its world premiere at the Edinburgh International Film Festival and has been screened internationally and nominated for over 30 international awards. His short film, Trans, was also screened around the world. He was one of the 17 filmmakers selected for the BFI Network at LFF 2017, that's British Film Institute and London Film Festival, which uh, sought to identify, and identify, I should say, original new voices, taking risks and breaking new ground in narrative and form. Chapman is an alumni of the Industry Development Programme, Berniau, Berniau, I'm terrible this week on my pronunciation, uh, Berliniau Talents at the Berlin Film Festival. 
His photographic work has appeared in numerous group gallery shows and magazines such as ID and Aesthetica. He is currently developing his debut drama feature, Truant, and this project uh, was one of 12 European projects selected for the UK-Italy development programme Feature Expanded, where he was mentored by Oscar-nominated and Cannes Prize-winning producer, here's a tricky one, Yorgos Tesorgianis. I hope I got that right. Anyway, Chapman was recently selected for the BAFTA Connect scheme and is an associate member of Directors UK. He is a lecturer in film and TV production at the University of Greenwich and he has a PhD in film practice. After all that stumbling over language, let's hear from Mark. Hello there, this is Mark Chapman. I'm a filmmaker and photographer. Thank you to Grant for inviting me to answer the question, what does photography mean to me? It's a difficult question to articulate and one that feels like it has the danger of concealing as much as revealing in terms of my practice. It's also one that invites thankless grasping around in the dark in an attempt to find a profound response, but let's see how I get on. When I first picked up a stills camera, it was a tool for learning. I was studying filmmaking at art college and I thought taking stills with a newly acquired Pentax K1000 would help develop my visual sense. Filmmaking takes so bloody long to do. With photography, I could leave the house in the morning and return at the end of the day with a piece of work that didn't exist before. Over the years, this has developed into a fluid creative practice where my photography informs my films and vice versa. At the heart of the question of photography's meaning to me, it's a point of access into the world around me. An entry point into situations, relationships, it encourages engagement with people beyond the surface and into a, onto a deeper level, into their thoughts, feelings, dreams. My debut book, God's Promises Mean Everything, is to be published by Derry Lewis Publishing in spring 2024. The book is an intimate photographic project that spans seven years in the life of its subject, Derek, a homeless hostel resident who lives in Teesside, an area that has a rich industrial history in the northeast of England. I had the privilege of being given unique access to document Derek's life across several years and the project can basically be summed up as one man, one room, seven years. God's Promises Mean Everything seeks to reveal the hidden reality of our towns and cities. The project explores important contemporary themes of the housing crisis, social isolation and addiction. The project began when I reconnected with Derek via his probation officer just after the completion of our documentary film collaboration, Camrex. The hostel where he'd been staying had closed and when he was rehoused we'd lost touch so we were eager to maintain communication. A number of the cast members from Camrex had died since production ended and the project developed out of considering notions of post-shoot aftercare and communication with documentary contributors. My intention was to find a way to document and maintain long-term contact with a documentary subject after the collaborative encounter of the film production ended and to avoid what filmmaker and academic John Ellis described as a quick seduction followed by abandonment. That is when a filmmaker or a photographer and subject part ways after the completion of a project. I didn't really want to make more work set in a hostel after the completion of Camrex, but I thought if I didn't, I'd have regretted it. Here was a relationship that I'd developed in a, in a really deep way, and I would have regretted it. I know that now. Anyway, after being granted permission by the hostel in Teesside, I visited Derek one or two times a month to drop off food, talk, listen to music. Sometimes I photographed him and sometimes not. Through these visits, time became a key creative strategy and the primary asset that allowed me to develop an approach that was fully collaborative. 
the images are an inseparable mix of self-aware and spontaneous, candid and constructed. This allowed a tighter control over the images than a purely observational approach. I decided not to photograph outside of Derek's room. Every time I did, the images lost a certain tension that interested me. That of the pressures of strangers living side by side and on top of one another. However, the difficulty was making one room feel fresh and different with each image. When constructing work out of reality, there's an ethical dimension to every decision you make, and those tensions persist throughout each stage of its making. Photographers are reliant on the relationships that are developed during a project's creation, and this comes with a special responsibility, an engagement and a commitment that extends beyond the need to make the work, an obligation to the other person. In this context, time becomes not only a key creative strategy, but an ethical one. My work is much influenced by British oral historian and non-fiction writer Tony Parker, whose work centred on amplifying unheard voices and stories in the UK and beyond, in such seminal books as The Unknown Citizen, People of Providence and Life After Life. God's Promises Mean Everything sought to continue my engagement with inner subjective histories by exploring everyday working class communities of North East England. In doing so, my intention was to avoid images that were either whimsical or crude, both problematic and diminishing characteristics, and all too common in the representation of this kind of environment. This is the third project I've made featuring Derek, and his unifying presence creates a constellation of individual projects across disciplines that have now become a kind of open-ended archive of experience. In the closeness and duration of this collaboration, my story has become entwined with his. Anyway, please keep an eye out for the book when it's released. I hope you like it, and thank you very much. Well, thank you, Mark, for your very eloquent contribution this week. So much to um, take in there definitely requires a second, third, or perhaps fourth listening to delve into what he's saying, because I think he's saying some really important and interesting things, particularly when you're documenting situations which are so sensitive so check out his films check out his work now also interesting i think in this episode that i've been talking about julia about ai about filmmaking about stills those crossovers are here today i really am as any regular listener will know against the siloing of creativity or photography on the basis of outdated labels But interestingly, talking about that just recently, just a couple of days ago, I've been trying to sort out the house before we move. The shed is probably sounding a lot more echoey this week, and it will continue to do so until we move, because there's pretty much nothing left in it. And I found in the corner a bag of old cameras, a real mixed bag of cameras that I had no use for, and I had no idea if they even worked. I can't even remember where I got them from. So I put them up for sale. A guy came round and said he was going to buy them. I said, well, what are you going to do with these? He said, I'm going to retrofit them. I'm going to put digital cameras inside analogue cameras. Doesn't make any sense to me, but hey, whatever floats your boat. I was recently asked whether or not I would give a talk that could be recorded for people who were interested in creating podcasts. I suppose, in a way, giving my 
very limited knowledge of how to produce a podcast. And, but having done so many episodes, I suppose somebody thought it was of some importance, relevance or use. So I started to talk about how I did it. And the person who was interviewing me was quite incredulous that it was quite so amateur in the way in which I produce it, the fact that everything you hear now is live, there is no script, um, there's no real editing, no editing at all, really. You only have to listen to the mistakes I make. If I make a mistake, it's a mistake. I don't go back and think I could do that better. I'm just not that interested. I'm more interested in the idea of actually just doing things and letting them be as they are. And I think I've read this before, but as part of that talk, I wish I had read the uh, quote that I'm about to read to you because I've always liked it, and, um, but I forgot to include it in the uh, interview that I gave. However, um, I'm going to read it for you now. Eat at a local restaurant tonight, get the cream sauce, have a cold pint at four o'clock in a mostly empty bar, go somewhere you've never been. Listen to someone you think you may have nothing in common with. Order the steak rare. Eat an oyster. Have a Negroni. Have two. Be open to a world where you may not understand or agree with the person next to you, but have a drink with them anyways. Eat slowly. Tip your server. Check in on your friends. Check in on yourself. Enjoy the ride. The great Anthony Bourdain said that, and I have to say... I think I might have to have that on my gravestone. As some of you may know, I'm in the process of launching an MA online in professional photography. Um, that's going to be through Oxford Brookes University starting September 2024. If you're interested, go onto the uh, Oxford Brookes University website, put in professional photography, and you'll find out all you need to know. Well, I was talking to somebody the other day about this, and uh, the person was a, a fine artist. A, 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 I'm not sure, actually, maybe a painter, maybe a kind of mixed-media type thing. Anyway, I'm not really sure of their exact practice. But they seem to have an issue with the word professional and then connecting that with the word creativity, as if the two things were completely separate. As if by being professional, you cannot be creative. And that creativity only comes from not being a professional. And I presume that's kind of part of that labelling, that the use of the word professional means that you have to be paid for it. Well, as everybody knows who listens to this podcast for a long period of time, I never use the word commercial when connected with photography. Because in my eyes, eyes everything is commercial. When a commercial transaction takes place, it doesn't actually matter where the instigation of the work was. A painting that's created by an artist can become commercial once it enters the commercial world and is bought and sold, so on and so forth. So I just thought it was worth mentioning at this point, this week, that however unprofessional this podcast is, I try my best. But I also always try and keep it creative. And of course, I always try and take care. And I hope you do too. <laughs>